All right, are we on? Is it working? All right. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone. Um, but before we dive into the word, will everyone join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for saving us. Uh, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for guiding us. Thank you for calling us and commissioning us. Thank you for the book of Acts and for um, the word that you have for us this morning and this year as we study through the book of Acts. Would your Holy Spirit meet us? Um, would your Holy Spirit empower um, your word? You promised to bless your word. So your Holy Spirit come um, and, empower, and empower us to be able to respond um, to your word this morning. Um, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. So today um, we're picking up, um, continuing our study where we left off last week. Um, as you know, we're going through the book of Acts this year, um, and we kicked off last week with um, Acts chapter 1 from verses 1 to 11. Um, and so today we're going to be covering the second half of Acts 1 from verses 12 all the way to 26. So if you wanted to start um, turning in your Bible there, if you have one, um, the verses will be on the screen as well, but it'd be helpful to to maybe follow along as we go. While you're turning there, I just wanted to remind us of the context. Um, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and um, listen to the message from last week as Pastor Roy gave um, a pretty in-depth introduction to the book of Acts. Um, but just as a way of reminder, Acts is written by Luke, who is the same author as the Gospel of Luke. And so Acts is really a continuation of the um, of the Gospel of Luke, or Luke Part 2, as Pastor Roy said. And in Acts 1.1, Luke tells us what the purpose of his Gospel of Luke was, and it's to recount all that Jesus did and taught during his earthly ministry. So Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, narrates all the real-life events of Jesus' ministry, um, as well as his death and resurrection three days later. Is kind of, is that better? I feel like I was breathing really hard into this. Um, so in Acts, we have a continuation of all that Jesus continued to do and teach, but this time through his apostles and through his church. So the book of Acts narrates the historic activities of the apostles and his church after Christ ascended into heaven. So in Acts, Luke is showing us how Christ commissions his church now to follow, um, to spread the news of his death and resurrection to the ends of the earth. And now the church is God's primary instrument for his purposes in the world. Acts also, it gives us a lot of good examples of how Jesus wants his church to be today. So similar to how in the United States, when our country has a decision or needs guidance on an issue, we look to the Constitution. Um, in the same way, we look to the book of Acts as it provides a lot of examples for what we're supposed to be doing and how Christ wants his church to be today. So it's very relevant for us in 2024. So, so far in Acts chapter one, we see the story pick up with the disciples still in Jerusalem. So Jesus told the 11 remaining apostles that he would soon fulfill his promise to baptize them with the Holy Spirit, giving them the power that they need to be able to go and spread the news of his death and resurrection to the ends of the earth. 
But before that, they were to wait, wait in Jerusalem, to not leave Jerusalem until, that they, were, until they were clothed with this power. So after giving this commission, Jesus ascended back into heaven and left his followers with this commission and the promise that he would soon return. So this means the commission still stands for the church today until Christ returns. So the commission given to the followers of Jesus in Acts 1, it still stands. And that means it's a commission for the church today, including our church. So this is the context of the passage that we see um, in our passage today. So let's take a look together at Acts 1, verses 12 to 26, and I'll read the whole thing for us. Starting in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of James and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, a Kaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all and know which one of these Two, you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So have you ever had a time of waiting and preparing before there was a big event in your life? Perhaps this waiting and preparing was nerve-wracking, such as the time before a big exam that determined your future. Or maybe it was an exciting time of waiting and preparing, such as planning for an upcoming marriage. Our passage today revolves around waiting and preparing and in anticipation of a much um, expected event, which is the day of Pentecost. So the passage of scripture we, that we have at hand today is uh, the only portion of scripture that tells us what was happening between the time that Christ ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost was a much expected, anticipated day that was promised in the Old Testament. Pentecost, we'll learn a little bit more, um, actually a lot more, next week in chapter two, is the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out to believers um, to empower them to be witnesses to Christ. 
So here we see the apostles and the rest of Jesus' disciples waiting for this promised day, the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We also see them preparing. They're preparing for the commission that Christ had given them. The interim time between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost was a time of preparation. So what do we see the believers in this passage relying on to prepare for the mission that Christ had for them? Well, through studying this chapter, I can see three main things. Um, First is prayer, the second is the word of God, and the third is God's providence. So as we observe these in the passage, I pray that we'll be instructed as well as we can follow their example since the same commission given to them has been given to us. So first, we can observe that the believers were relying on prayer. So if we take a look at verses 12 to 14 in particular, So Jesus had just ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, which is a place near Jerusalem. Um, The apostles left that area and went to a room to pray, and they were joined by other followers. Uh, This upper room where they were praying was likely, it could have been the same location where the disciples ate the Last Supper with Jesus before he was crucified. And I find it very interesting that Luke doesn't tell us explicitly if any, uh, anyone else besides the apostles were present during Christ's ascension. But we do see a group of individuals listed as praying together in preparation for the commission with the apostles. And I think this is interesting because everyone saw themselves as having a role to play in the commission. Everyone seems to take an ownership over the commission to pray together. So who are these people that were in the room praying together? We see them listed. So first we see the 11 apostles, the one not being included, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. Next we see Mary, um, Jesus' mother, is listed as one who is praying with the believers there. So she, had, she too had become uh, a believer. She ha- had seen and experienced the risen Christ and was also obedient to Um, to wait until they were clothed with power on high. Along with Mary, Luke also mentions the women. Um, Who were they? Well, the passage doesn't explicitly tell us, but we can take some guesses. Um, Perhaps they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, and the other women who supported Jesus during his ministry, as Luke tells us in his gospel in Luke 8. Um, In Luke chapter 24, um, the chapter about the resurrection, um, we see there were a group of women named who were the first to witness um, Jesus. um, The angel um, appeared to them to tell them of the resurrection of Christ. So these were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and um, Mary, the mother of James. So these could have potentially been the women who were present in the upper room. Um, But we're not entirely sure. But it is significant that a group of women um, not only were the first people to witness Jesus risen from the dead, but now here they are, shoulder to shoulder, with the 11 apostles and other followers of Jesus together praying. So from the very beginning, we see women playing a very significant role in the mission of the church. And that would have been quite unheard of uh, in the culture of the time. And the final group of people that we see praying in the upper room were Jesus' brothers. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, we see that during the time of his ministry, Jesus' brothers weren't even believers. 
In John 7, 5, scripture says, for not even his own brothers, for not even his brothers believed in him. But since that time, it seems that they had witnessed Christ risen from the dead and had become believers. So Jesus' very own family members weren't, didn't believe in him until they had witnessed him resurrected from the dead. And that shows us the transformative power of the resurrection. It turned Jesus' cynical brothers into leaders in the church. Two of Jesus' brothers in particular, James and Jude, who potentially were there, um, became leaders in the early church and even wrote books of the Bible named after them in James and Jude. So this group, um, this group that was praying was also very likely the same group who were present in the next chapter during Pentecost um, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them. So both men and women, regular believers in Jesus, are empowered together with the, the apostles for the mission of Christ. So this means some, an observation that we can make, an application, is that we can't relegate the command to be on mission to certain leaders, missionaries in the church. Um, we all have a, a part to play in this. The task of praying and waiting for the empowerment of the Spirit was not just given to the apostles, but was given to everyone. So do you tend to think that the mission of the church is for other people, such as pastors or missionaries and leaders, but not for you? Do you find yourself not really wanting to get involved in what the church is doing because you don't have an official title or a role? So if you're here today and you're a believer, the mission of Christ is for you, and you're invited, in fact, commanded to take part in it. And the mission of Christ is exactly what Jesus says um, that we, as we saw last week in Acts 1.8, to be his witnesses. So fundamental to being a Christian is also being a witness. And it will take different shape in each of our lives. However, we all do bear a responsibility to be obedient to this because Christ has given it to his church. So now that we know who was there, let's take a look at what they were doing. So not only were they praying, but we were told that there in two ways how they were praying. So first, the, um, the text tells us that they were praying with one accord. So the word one accord has an image of many musical instruments playing together in unison to form one harmony, one beautiful harmony, with not one note being out of place. This is amazing, because um, if you remember back in the gospel narratives, the disciples couldn't really agree on anything. They were always bickering and fighting and competing for the highest position, trying to be the best. Um, but now we see the common experience of witnessing Jesus risen from the dead and having that common commission had changed them and they had become unified. So have you ever had an experience like that where you felt very united with a group of people? Can you remember what it was that brought it about? So oftentimes shared experiences do have a way of uniting a group of people. I remember being in grad school, I was in grad school with a cohort and we would meet every week for, um, for class. And during that time, as is typical with grad students, as you complain about how hard the previous weeks of work was. And so that, that week of being able to kind of commiserate with one another really did give us a sense of com camaraderie 
the sense of struggle kind of united us. But not only does a shared experience unite people, but also having a common mission unites people as well. And if you've ever been on a summer missions trip or a service project, you know how that, it, how that goes. After a week or two, you feel very united with your teammates. And this is just a small example of the unity that the church has, um, being commissioned with the same commission together. I know that we all do desire to have a close community at this church, and I really am a firm believer that that will come about when we join together with God to accomplish his purposes. So we see the followers of Jesus all in the upper room praying with one accord, united by their common mission. The second way that we see them praying was with devotion. So Luke says that the believers were devoting themselves to prayer in verse 14. The word devoting here, uh, it means steadfast, constant, and unrelenting. They They were together and they were continuously praying for long stretches of time. And it reminds me of a testimony I once heard um, of a brother who was radically converted in his young, young adult years. And he would say after work, he would come home and lock himself in his closet, and four or five hours late into the night, long stretches of time, he would just pray and pray and pray until late into the night, wake up, go to work, and do it the next day. So this is kind of a picture that comes into my mind when I hear about the devotion when I hear devoted to prayer. But what was motivating the group of people to be so devoted to prayer? As we saw last week in the first half of Acts 1, Jesus promised the power that they would need for the commission. But before that, the apostles were commanded not to leave Jerusalem until they were prepared by the Holy Spirit. They weren't to run out ahead of God and start doing ministry until they were prepared. So what were they doing? They were praying. That was their way of waiting. So waiting doesn't always have to be a passive thing. They actively waited by devoting themselves to prayer. So prayer was their means of preparation. So one reason they could have been so devoted to prayer was they knew that they needed help for what was about to come. Oftentimes in our culture, we view productivity and outcomes so much that we neglect prayer as preparation. We can just dive into some endeavor for God, thinking that our hard work will be what makes it fruitful, and we often don't stop to pray. A lack of prayer before anything that we do, whether it be big or small, it means that really deep down we think that we can do it on our own. When we know that we've really reached the end of ourselves, that's when we stop and pray. So what does a posture of devotion to prayer look like? It would look like first and foremost having a mindset that says, I I need God. I'm dependent upon God. So if you find yourself having the tendency of going through your day, um, even Christian activities without prayer, like I so often do, Um, We can ask ourselves, do I really believe deep down that I need God in what I'm about to do? And you can make it a habit um, to start your endeavors, whether it be going to work, studying, um, some ministry, even with a short prayer. Lord, help me, I need you. But what about praying in the context of the commission that Christ has given to us as we see in our passage? 
So just like the early believers here in this passage, we also are united with, call, with being on the same mission. We can follow their example by preparing with prayer. And right now, we can be praying about, as we're early on in this journey together, what does it look like for us here to be his witnesses? What are some practical steps that we can take to be devoted to prayer this year? Uh, well, if you're married, you can set aside uh, a, week, uh, a weeknight out of the week to spend some time praying together. If you're single, um, you can get some brothers or sisters around you, uh, maybe even roommates, and spend an, an evening or a morning once a week praying. Um, you can join the weekly prayer meeting, which is on Wednesday nights. Or you can spend some time in your CGs praying about that, what that looks like this year. These are just a few examples of how we can apply this, of being devoted to prayer. But this commission is our commission too, and we would do well to prepare in the same way as we saw the early, early disciples preparing. So prayer is the first thing that the early believers relied on to prepare for Christ's mission. The second uh, is the word of God. So let's take a look at verses 15 to 20. In the days when the believers were devoting themselves to prayer, Peter stands up and recognizes a need among the people. So what was the need that he recognized? Well, all four gospel accounts tell us that one of the disciples that Jesus chose, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Jesus by delivering him over to the religious leaders in Jerusalem who were seeking to kill him. Judas led Judas led the leaders to Jesus by night so that they could arrest him and have him put to death. So all four gospel accounts tell us about this. Um, but in our passage today in um, seven, verses 17 to 20, Luke gives us some additional information about what happened after Judas betrayed Jesus. Luke graphically tells us about his death. So together with some of the information from Matthew chapter 27, um, we're able to kind of piece together a little bit of what happened. So we see that Judas tried to return the money to the religious leaders um, that they had given him to, to hand him over to Jesus. And he started to experience regret for handing Jesus over. But after realizing that Jesus was going to be put to death no matter what, he tried to return the money, uh, but when they refused it, he threw the money down in the temple and went and hung himself. And Luke adds the graphic detail um, that his body split open and his bowels came out in the field. And that's why the field was called uh, the field of blood. So this may have happened um, as a result of Judas hanging himself. Uh, maybe the tree snapped. Um, or maybe his body started to decay. We're not really sure, um, but that's kind of how the story goes, just piecing together all the pieces. And the religious leaders, after Judas had thrown down the 30 pieces of silver, um, they didn't want to use it for temple use because it was blood money. Um, so they went and bought a field um, and used it for those who didn't have a proper burial place. And that's why... Um, and that's how it says in verse 18 that Judas acquired a field by his wickedness indir more indirectly. So this was the sad end to Judas's life. He had abandoned the ministry that Christ had given him and he went his own way. 
So this was the need that Peter um, observed. And um, so it was a need because Jesus appointed 12 uh, disciples. Um, but Judas had left, and he left a, a need unfulfilled. Jesus did have a purpose in choosing 12 in particular. And this was to correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel that we see in the Old Testament. Um, as the apostles now represented the new Israel, the people of God, the church. So there was, a, there was a need left when Judas, there was a need unfilled when Judas left. God wasn't surprised though. Um, many times in the gospel, Jesus foretold that one of his disciples would betray him. He knew beforehand that Judas was an unbeliever. Um, in, in John 13, 18, Jesus says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but let the scripture be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Not only that, but scripture tells us that Judas's betrayal was known and even foredained by God. Acts 2.23 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of sinful men. So God wasn't surprised by this. However, Judas's departure did leave a need. So Peter recognized the solution to their need as well, and he recognized this solution directly from the scriptures. So likely as Judas, or as Peter was praying with those in the upper room, he was meditating on the scriptures. And the scriptures, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, likely came to his mind. Like most Jewish people of his time, Peter would have been thoroughly saturated in the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and as he was thinking about the situation that had happened with Judas, these verses must have come to his mind. God uses his word specifically to guide us. So if our minds aren't filled with the word of God, we are truly missing out on his specific guidance. Being saturated in the word of God isn't something that happens overnight, but it comes of, from years of intaking his word. So let me ask you, what are you doing to saturate your mind in the scriptures? So this is how Psalm 69 verse 25 and Psalm 109 verse 8 popped into his mind when he was thinking about the need left by Judas. Peter says in our chapter here in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit was the one speaking um, when David wrote. So this is a really great example of what it means that scripture is breathed out by God. David did write the psalm but it was the Holy Spirit that guided him so that what David wrote was everything God wanted written. Peter also says another interesting thing about scripture. He says that the scripture must be fulfilled. So the Holy Spirit through David had written a prophecy about what would happen to Judas and this prophecy must come to pass because the word of the Lord must come to pass. When God some, says something will happen, it happens every single time. So Peter saw the words that David in Psalm 69.25 and Psalm 109.8, he saw them as a prophetic prediction about what Judas would do and what they needed to do as a response. So let's take a look at verse 20 where, um, where Peter quotes these. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there no one 
let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So in context, both Psalm 69.25, which is the first scripture um, Peter quotes, and Psalm 109.8, which is the second one he quotes, um, they are about David. So David is being mistreated by an enemy, and he was praying that his enemies would be punished. So David was praying that his enemy would have his whole army wiped out. May his camp become desolate in punishment. So Peter connects this with Judas, who made his own camp desolate when he took his own life. David also prayed in Psalm 109.8 that his enemy would be removed from his position of authority so that someone else could take it. And Peter connects this with the need to replace Judas with another qualified candidate. So scripture provided the solution, so they decided to replace Judas. It's interesting that even a man like Peter was so reliant on the word of God when problems arose. Peter had experienced Jesus firsthand and had heard and talked and touched Jesus. And he learned directly from him, but was still reliant on the word of God when problems arose. He didn't rely on his own wisdom, but he gave us an excellent example of how we, can't, we can, too can be led by God's word. Replacing Judas was a major step for the, for the early church in being prepared for fulfilling the commission that Christ had for them. And they relied on God's word for guidance to do it. So how can you and me, how can we possibly make wise decisions or expect to walk in God's will unless we're regularly hearing from God in his word? We're called to be on mission with him and we need to be prepared with the word of God. So do you know what verses to look up to be able to explain the gospel? Will you be ready with a scripture, a specific scripture to be able to encourage a fellow believer? Do you know where to turn in your Bible if an unbelieving coworker has a question about your faith? So this preparation only comes by regularly being in the word, even if just a few minutes a day. So here are a, a couple of practical tips of regularly being in the word. First, you can pick a reading plan. There's many online, all of them are very good and helps give direction to your reading. You can choose a time and a place that are specifically reserved for being in the word of God. It's a good idea to start small, maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day and build from there. Get other people around you to encourage you and to hold you accountable for this. Talk to Pastor Roy, one of the elders, or your CG leader about what resources they use for being able to understand hard passages. So let's prepare together by being in God's word regularly. If you're already doing this, I wanna encourage you, help other people. Let them know what works for you. But we need the word of God to be prepared for his mission. The last thing we see the early disciples relying on to prepare for the mission is God's providence. So this is um, from verses 21 through 26. At Peter's leadership, the early church decided to replace Judas. Out of all of the qualified men, 
the people nominate and put forward two candidates. And we see them. Um, one is Joseph, who's known by two other names, Barsabbas and, or Justice. And the other, one, uh, other candidate is known as Matthias. In order to decide which one of these men was God's choice to replace Judas, the apostles decided to cast lots. So casting lots was occasionally done in the Old Testament um, for special occasions to discern the will of God. And it was similar to casting a die or casting dice. This wasn't a normative way of uh, discerning the will of God. Um, It was a very special way. Um, God has given us other means, um, more regular means of discerning his will, such as um, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of fellow believers, or his word. So this isn't to be prescriptive for us in every occasion. We see in verse 24 that the whole congregation together, they prayed for guidance and direction so that they could make the right choice between these two men. And they trusted in God's providential guidance to lead them in that way. The casting of the lots was their way of entrusting the decision of the results to God. With the lot landing on Matthias, he was given the position as the 12th apostle. And from that point on, he acted with the role and the full authority of an apostle. With the gravity of this decision, the people cried out for God's direction in order to make the right choice. To see a little bit of the significance of this decision, we need a little bit of clarity on first what an apostle is and also what it meant for their preparation for the commission that Christ had given them. So as you, as you might already know, the word apostle means sent one or messenger. So they were the individuals, the 12 individuals, especially appointed and chosen by Christ, sent out to verify the facts of Christ's resurrection, of his death and resurrection. So Jesus had specifically chosen them and appointed them as apostles. And notice the two criteria that Peter says a potential apostle must meet in verses 21 and 22. First, they must have been present for all of Jesus' ministry, which began from his, at his baptism and then ended in his ascension. Second, they also must have been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, to Jesus' resurrection. This was a very important criteria for an apostle because the gospel stands or falls on the resurrection. Paul goes so far as to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ has not been, risen, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So it was very important to have appointed eyewitnesses to verify that the resurrection actually happened because the resurrection, among other things, is the proof that our sins have been atoned for and it was proof that Jesus' sacrifice had been accepted. The Bible says somewhere else in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. So we all deserve death because we have sinned against God. But the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ died in our place to pay the debt that we owe. 
and he rose again in order to show that the payment was complete and to give us eternal life to all who repent and believe in him. So that's the gospel, and the, res- the resurrection is an essential part of it. So as we're sharing the gospel with unbelievers, let's make sure to never leave out that part. So first, the apostles verified the resurrection. Also, the apostles were entrusted with passing on Jesus' teaching. One, the qualification um, mentioned just a minute ago was that the apostle had to be present for all of Jesus' ministry so that they could pass on all that Jesus taught. So this was the role of an apostle. And it gives us a little bit of an understanding of the gravity of the decision in replacing an apostle. So finding this 12th apostle was a necessary step in preparing for and fulfilling the commission that Christ had given to them. With Peter at the lead, the believers took active steps in order to find a good replacement. They exercised wisdom. It wasn't a random choice in choosing a 12th apostle in order to narrow it down to two qualified candidates. So by no means was this a careless or random decision. Once they had narrowed it down to two qualified men, the apostles trusted in God's providence to direct them to the right person. What does providence mean? Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology book explains providence as the truth that God governs or directs all things in order that they accomplish his purposes. So God controls everything, whether it be actions, Um, circumstances to accomplish everything that he wants done on the earth. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So God governs and controls everything to fulfill his purposes. Peter may have been the one to cast the die, but God directed the die to fall on Matthias. So the apostles used the means at their disposal, whether it be the qualifications, the wisdom of the, of the congregation to nominate them in order to make the right choice. But notice how the providence of God wasn't an excuse. It wasn't used as an excuse for the apostles to do nothing. They were also very active in this decision. They trusted that God works through the means of man's actions to accomplish, it, to accomplish his purposes. It is amazing that God does use people in order to accomplish what he wants to do on the earth. It's amazing because he could so easily do it himself, but he puts it into the care of his people. He works through us and we are his means. Our actions, our decisions are his means to accomplish his purposes. At the time of his earthly ministry, in Matthew 16, verses eight, uh, verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we can see that Christ is ultimately the one who is building his church, though he uses people to do it. And at the end of all time, when Christ returns, John, in the book of Revelation, sees a vision. Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10 says, 
After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and the Lamb. So we see at the very end of time, John shows us that there will, there will be people from all the ends of the earth in heaven worshiping Christ. So God has already shown us the end of his story. People from the ends of the earth will hear the gospel, will be, believe in him, and will worship him. But far from, making us, far from that making us passive in his commission, the providence of God should give us confidence in it, to be active in it. It reminds me of the book of Joshua and the conquest of Canaan. So God had already promised Israel that they would win the battle and that they would take the land of Canaan. But it wouldn't happen unless they went out to battle, unless they took up their swords and participated in it. In the same way, we are called as followers of Christ to be Christ's witnesses in the world. And, but we are called to a commission that cannot fail. So do you think about that often? That you are called to participate in the purposes of God and to make his name known in the world. The way that we all participate in this commission will look very different from individual to individual. But what I want us to walk away with today is just the simple fact that we, first and foremost, are witnesses of Christ. If you're not already thinking this, if you're not thinking this about yourself, we really should change our thinking to match what the Bible says about us. That I am a witness of Jesus Christ in this world. If you're a believer here today, you have a testimony we all as believers have encountered and been changed by the very simple news that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. And because the apostles were obedient to their commission, they started a chain reaction down to us today. And here we are today, believers in the same gospel. We should really see being a witness, this identity of being a witness of Jesus as a joy and not a burden. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what a great news we get to benefit from and what a great news we get to share with others. I also wanna encourage you to be preparing in the same way as we saw the early church preparing. To be praying with our brothers and sisters together about what fulfilling this call on our lives might look like. To, to take active steps to be in the word every day, saturating your mind so that you will be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you. And lastly, to give thanks that God is the one who is at work with us. Will you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you for just the benefits that we share in Christ, Um, forgiven, that we are reconciled, that we are adopted, that we are justified, um, that we are filled with your Holy Spirit, that we have um, relationship with you. Thank you that you call us to be a part of what you're doing. Um, Would you help us? Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. Help us to, to be obedient to all that you have called us to do. Would you help us to to understand our identity as your witnesses. And as we go through the book of Acts this year, would you give us more clarity um, individually over what it looks like for for us to be witnesses in this world as a lot of us, even myself included, don't know exactly what what does that mean, but we want to be soft and we want to be open to your word. We want to be changed by your word. We want to change our minds when we come in contact with your word and not change your word to, to, come into, to come into conformity with our minds. We want it to be the other way around. Would you work, Holy Spirit, in our church as we go through this book of Acts? Would you help us to, to prepare, to be prepared, to encourage one another, to be united in the commission that you've given us? Would you give us more clarity about what it looks like corporately as a church and also individually as, um, as individuals? Um, we pray this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So just for the next few minutes as a prayer response, I wanted just to spend a brief moment reflecting and praying on what we heard and what we, what we saw in God's word today can reflect on what it looks like as of finding your identity and being a witness can be thinking about and praying about some of the steps that we talked about in being prepared to be his witness whether it be praying together with others whether it be meeting with God and his word also trusting ultimately in his providence to work through us through our actions so let's spend a moment just in prayer Father in heaven, may we be like those that we see in your word, um, the parable of the treasure, the person who who finds a treasure in the field 
and in his joy sells all he has to have that treasure. May we see the treasure that we have in the news of Christ. May we treasure Christ afresh and just be motivated out of love to want to, to tell others about him, um, to want to encourage even our believing friends. Um, may his name be on our lips. May we be the salt of the earth that you say that we are. May we be the witnesses in this world that you say that we are. May we be used and poured out for your glory. And as we are, would you unite our church in our common experience of, of, knowing, of knowing Christ and of being on the same mission together. And would you bless our church? Would you fill us with the clarity of your word as we go through Acts? Um, would you convict our hearts specifically um, with your word as we go? Um, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.